Please do take a seat. Let's just pray for a moment before we look at this scripture passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love that we've heard and seen demonstrated this morning. Thank you that you love each one of us in this place. And we ask that you would speak to each one of us in your love this morning now. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Thank you that you're already amongst us. Speak now, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Wow. It's such a privilege to speak at services like this. And just to witness things like we've witnessed this morning. It's just been amazing. I want to particularly welcome you if you are not used to this and you're still trying to get your head around all of it and realise what on earth just gone on. Uh, if you're a guest, you're so very welcome this morning. We pray God would bless you and encourage you. Um, I found myself in a... Oh, yes. That's what I'm going to talk about. There's always one. An invitation to live passionately for Jesus. That's where we're going. Um, I found myself uh, in a group photo context the other day. You know the ones I mean, where someone thinks they're you know, extremely gifted at taking photographs and they get out one of those cameras with a timer and they set it up and everyone has to wait and sort of stand there awkwardly as they're, they're fluffing about with the camera and then they'll run round, you know, and they run up and they get there and it starts flashing and then suddenly, doosh, there it goes. Not quite the douche of the old days, you know, the big flash and I'm not that old. 33. Um, but, you know, click, and off it goes. Well, not even click with digital, is it? But flash, and it goes. Um, and then suddenly they go back around, and everyone waits, and they check. And they go, oh, for goodness sake. Chris, you had your eyes closed. You know, Bob, you're sticking your tongue out. Yeah? There's always one, right, in those photos. You know what I mean. Think of your school photos. With someone who opens up the, 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 the shirt to reveal a Superman T-shirt underneath, right as it's been taken or. In the old days, I believe it was possible to even run around and get in twice. If anyone's actually done that, you're a, he- you're a hero. You were already my hero, you, and now you're just, you know, sky high. Um, but that phrase comes out, for goodness sake, there's always one, isn't there, that has to. Go ahead. So here's some, there's always one photos for you. Um, quite enjoyed finding these on the internet. There's always that one, friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How good is that? What makes that extra good is just how cheesed off everyone else looks. (laughs) Look at his face. For goodness sake. My brother Hootie is such a pain. Yeah. Have a look. Takes a while to spot it. (laughs) I don't know if that's doctored or not, but that's funny. Look at these. Look at these two spaces. They're like, what on earth are you doing? Is that intentional? (laughs) Are you okay? Do we need to call someone? (laughs) This one takes a while to spot. (laughs) You'll know when you've seen it. (laughs) There he is. (laughs) That presumably is photoshopped. If it's not, it's the best photo that's ever been taken, surely. Um, And one more. Yes. Clerical robes and Darth Vader at the back. (laughs) There's always one. It's one of those statements that you don't ever want to be used about yourself really, isn't it? Because we all know implicitly what it means. We know exactly what's being said when someone rolls out the phrase, there's always one, don't we? 
We know that everybody else was quietly getting on with their business in the right and acceptable way and then you had to come along and did your silly thing to spoil it all or whatever it might be. You had to make a scene. You had to take it too far. You didn't know when to stop. You got it oh so wrong. When I was thinking about what to speak on this morning, it was this passage of this lady anointing Jesus head at this feast that stuck out to me. Um, It's the story of a lady, of a person, going way, way, way too far. Causing a scene, not knowing when to stop. She is the one who got it oh so wrong. You see, Jesus, the famous teacher, the healer, the preacher, the miracle worker, was staying just outside of Jerusalem, waiting for a festival to begin and on this particular evening, he is in the, he's a guest at a meal in the house of a man named Simon. Simon the leper, we're told. We don't know much about this guy, but we know that if he's called Simon the leper, he almost certainly would have had leprosy in his life. And the fact that he's having a feast with lots of people around him means that he doesn't have leprosy anymore, because that wouldn't be possible. You'd be cast out. So there's a good chance that this Simon has met Jesus before and has been healed by Jesus. We're not sure. That's one of the possibilities. And perhaps this feast that he's holding is a small token of his appreciation, you know? A little bit of bread, a nice little piece of meat, perhaps a little wine. And he wants to say thank you to Jesus. You know, a polite way of giving him gratitude. And so the meal begins and Jesus and his disciples are reclining at the tables, as was the custom in those days. Sort of leaning on their left elbow probably and sort of Eating and talking, you can imagine the conversation going really rather well, you know, Um, having a chat, the disciples, Jesus' friends are there, enjoying the food, Simon and his family asking questions of Jesus, it's all very lovely. And all of a sudden, a woman approaches the table. She's made her way into the place where the food is being eaten, and where they're lying and, and eating together, and She's got in her hand a large or largest jar made of alabaster. It's like a white polished stone. It's quite a posh and beautiful thing, this jar she was carrying. And it was filled with expensive perfume. And you can imagine those feasting casually sort of glancing up. There's a good chance they knew her um, and thought, well, perhaps she's going to ask a question of Jesus. Perhaps she's going to ask for his blessing on something. I'm sure she'll just wait her turn, because obviously we're having this conversation right now. Jesus is probably still lying down, he's still eating, he's still teaching perhaps. When all of a sudden, this lady breaks open the seal on the jar, or breaks the jar, we're not quite sure, she either smashes it on a rock or on the floor, she chips it and breaks it and opens this sealed jar. And she begins, to the total shock of everyone there, I'm sure, pouring the entire contents of this over Jesus' head. This incredibly expensive and beautiful smelling perfume begins to run down Jesus' head and hair and runs down his face. He's still lying down here. He possibly still has food in his hand as this is happening. And she's still pouring. No small amount. It was at least a pint. It could have been closer to a litre. And she's still pouring this stuff all over his head. She's staining the table. It's kind of dripping down and filling the room with this extraordinary smell. You can imagine the response. People jumping to their feet. What on earth is going on? Some shouting, stop. Some half choking on the bread or spitting out the wine. What on earth are you doing? 
Stop for a moment. We're trying to eat here. We're trying to have a conversation and some food. For goodness sake, think. And there's no doubt that she got it oh so very wrong. She misread the situation, the timing, the appropriateness. It gets worse. You see, in John's account of this story, sort of parallel account of what happened, we learn that she didn't just anoint his head, but there's a good chance that she also anointed his feet. And she poured more and more of this rare and expensive oil all over Jesus. You can imagine it getting stained down his robes and now on his feet and on his hair and all over the place. But she doesn't seem to care. And to make things worse, she then lets down her hair, which in that cultural context was an appalling thing to do. One didn't let one's hair down, um, especially as a woman in polite company. And she lets it down and now she starts to wipe the perfume on Jesus' feet. And those present were indignant. They were furious. They were incensed. They were outraged. It says, as Michael read so clearly, they rebuked her harshly. This is a totally inappropriate disgrace. This is an appalling waste. Look at what you're doing. Think about decorum. Think about what's appropriate. You have got it oh so wrong. And then what does Jesus say? In response to it all, he says she's done a beautiful thing. But you love Jesus. You've got this oh so wrong. No, she's done a beautiful thing. You see, despite what it looked to the others, she hadn't got it oh so wrong. She'd got it oh so right. Leave her alone, verse 6, Jesus says. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. This passionate act of love and gratitude and commitment to Jesus was actually something totally appropriate. It was something truly wonderful. And today we've witnessed what I know some will think is an outrageous and extraordinary and unusual thing to do. It's not every day that you stand up in front of friends and family and peers and folks like you, and declare your faith and your love for Jesus. It's not every day, is it? And it's not every day that you then go into a slightly overheated sheep dip of water. And if you're wondering if it is a sheep dip, I'm led to believe. Um, Fully clothed, and it's not every day that you confess your faith in Jesus in that place and you get dunked into the water and you get lifted up and back out as Theo and Martha have done. Perhaps some might say it's a little bit too much. (laughs) It's certainly not the expected and normal thing to do in this life. But I know that Jesus would declare over what's happened today, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing you've done, that Theo and Martha have done. This act of love and gratitude and commitment and faith in Jesus is actually something totally appropriate. Seeming, seemingly bizarre, but actually truly, incredibly wonderful. Perhaps you may be thinking, well, Matt, it may be appropriate and wonderful for them, but that's their thing. (laughs) You wouldn't catch me doing such a thing. It's certainly not mine. But what what if God is also inviting you to take that path of baptism? Maybe one day, maybe sooner than just one day in the future, maybe soon. Because on mornings like this, all of us, when we witness baptisms and hear testimonies like this, Each one of us, I think, is invited again by God to reconsider where we're at, where our heart is at, 
what we believe life is actually really all about, what our fundamental understanding of what what we're going to do with the years that we have, what it's all here for and who it's all here for. What is it that's led these two young people to make this statement of faith and celebration, this baptism this morning? What have they found? What does it mean? What does it mean for me? This morning, each one of us hears an invitation to come and discover life and grab it with both hands to come and live a life that's passionate for Jesus, a life that's all in for him and for his gospel. You see, whilst, and Rath said this well, whilst this morning may seem like it's all about Martha and Theo, it's actually all about Jesus. All of this is all about him. Theo and Martha haven't done this because they really like swimming. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. They haven't done it because they really like showing off, yeah? Wanting to make a scene. They've done it because they've realised who Jesus is. They've done it because they've realised who Jesus is. That's a direct quote from Theo's testimony. And you just hear from the passion of Martha. She's realised who Jesus is. And they've responded by choosing to give their all to him. This act of baptism. And that's exactly what happened in this story The woman who in John's version we're told is a follower called Mary, she's actually realised and understood who Jesus is. I mean really understood. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a kind man or a well-meaning miracle worker. This Jesus, this Jesus is a king. And kings are anointed with oil. You can see her thinking. Do you know we still do that for our own royalty. We still anoint. When, when we get our next king... Um, we will anoint him with oil. The archbishop will do that. In fact, the last one was 1953, the Queen's coronation. Um, and it's such a holy and significant moment that there was big debate on whether it should have been on TV at all, the whole thing. But that particular moment had to be shrouded. So they covered the Queen with this sort of um, canopy over her as they took a tiny, tiny little amount of oil, would have come from a little jar put into a container, and then the archbishop would have put it on her head as a cross, maybe on her hand, and I think also on her chest there, just to say, you are anointed, because you are royalty. But for Mary, no small amount of oil could express the king she realised Jesus really is. You see, she realised he was no temporal king, however extraordinary and our royalty is, and the pomp and the circumstance and the grandeur Jesus is no temporal king with some passing reign. He is the king of kings. And she realised it. He's the one who is above all, the one in whom all things were made, without whom nothing would have been made that has been made. He's the one who sustains all things. The very fabric of the universe is no one greater. There's no one more worthy than this man sat now reclining and trying to eat his meal and have a chat. He's the son of God come to be with humanity, come to rescue and show God's love. He's the king of all, but for Mary, he's also her king. She didn't just want to show him immense honour for the king he was. She also wanted to show her immense love and her gratitude for what he'd done in her life. This was a man who'd come into her life and had changed everything. This was a man who'd wept for her when her brother, who Theo mentioned, Lazarus, died. But he's also the one who, by two words spoken, Lazarus arrived. 
had risen, had, had called Lazarus out of the tomb and Lazarus had risen from the dead. She was so grateful for this, but I think there's more. She was grateful because he would have told her that she was a child of God. He would have brought her forgiveness and freedom from her mistakes and her mess. Jesus gave her hope and a future. Jesus let this woman be free to live the life God wanted her to live. And so she wants to express her gratitude to her king, to her saviour, to her lord, to her friend, to Jesus. And no small amount of oil would do it. She just didn't stop. She poured and she poured and she poured. This was no moderate response, an appropriate token of her appreciation. No, she gets the largest jug of the most expensive thing she's got. And she doesn't stop pouring until every drop is covering him. You see, Mary realised who Jesus really is. And when someone gets who Jesus really is, everything changes. When God reveals to your heart that this man is actually his son, the Lord and King, and that he can be your friend and your saviour, everything changes. You can read books all you like about Jesus. You can listen to a thousand sermons. Oh, that sounds exciting. You can listen to a thousand sermons about Jesus, but no academic reasoning is going to get you there. You're going to work out and ask the questions. You should. We all should. Where's the historical truth in this? What can we ask about this? What's the, how's the Bible written? How do we understand this? Who was this man? He made an enormous impact. We can do all these questions. But it's the moment that the Lord speaks to a heart that is open, a heart that is hungry, a heart that is thirsty, a heart that wants more than just this temporal world and the commercialism that we see all around us and the fleeting fancies that are here and then gone, a heart that is hungry for more, for truth, for something real, that then the Lord can speak and say, look, this is my son. This is Jesus. And he can be your Lord and he can be your king too. And when you realise who he is, everything changes. And that's what happened for Theo and for Martha. It doesn't always happen in a certain moment as Martha so helpfully shared with us. It doesn't necessarily happen instantly, although for some it can, and for some quite unexpectedly. They didn't realise their heart was hungry. Suddenly, whoa, God, there you are, you're amazing. For others, it's a journey and a process of growing in to this love and this faith in Jesus, not remembering the time when you first believed, but you know now you do, and you realise who he is. And you say, Matt, I'm not sure, because it seems a little bit all over there to me, because I'm not sure what I believe. Well, I just want to share with you this morning, if that's you, if you're hungry and thirsty, the Bible says, or Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. God doesn't force himself on anyone. Jesus doesn't force anyone to follow him, but he's ready the moment you're ready. And when you realise who he is at that moment and invite him into your life as your Lord and your friend and your saviour, everything changes and that adventure of life with him begins. For Mary, this adventure was well underway. She'd realised who he was, or who he is, And she wouldn't let anything stop her showing her love and gratitude. I want you to realise there was no way that this, (laughs) that she thought she was going to get away with what she did. There's no way she thought, oh, this will just be normal for me just to do this right now in the middle of the meal. Um, There wasn't going to be this sort of, oh gosh, 
sorry, have I got this frightfully wrong moment, you know? Oh, do forgive me, beg your pardon. Let me just mop that off for you. I'll come back a bit later. No, she would have known that showing her love for Jesus like this in such a public and passionate way would have opened her up to extraordinary criticism. The criticism which she got. Immaturity, extravagance, over-the-top, waste. There were deep personal reasons why she wouldn't have wanted to do it. It could have stopped her. Who likes criticisms? None of us. But she wouldn't let a fear of what others would say to her or think of her stop her. She loved Jesus. She wasn't embarrassed to show him. One doesn't interrupt a meal. One doesn't pour expensive perfume over one's honoured guest. One certainly doesn't get one's hair out and start smudging it around one's feet. Well, stuff decorum. One does when one has realised who Jesus is and one wants to give your gratitude and your heart and let nothing stop you from showing it. You see, there are times when we follow Jesus that require us to step up and be counted. Today was one of those times for Martha and Theo to not be afraid, to not be ashamed of what others might say. It's amazing to see a young lad like Theo make that commitment. You say, oh, he's, he's young, isn't he? We've heard his faith. He loves the Lord. What a privilege to see him baptised. What an amazing and wonderful thing. He wouldn't let his age hold him back. Perhaps he might have been worried about his school friends finding out. Well, from what I hear, he's told pretty much everyone he can at school. And if you're here from the school, you're so very welcome. We're delighted to welcome you. He's invited some folks here and they're looking forward at the school to seeing the photos. He's like, yeah, I'm getting baptised. Jesus means everything to me. You heard it. From his own mouth. Incredible. For Martha, it's such a crucial stage right before university. She'd already gone. She'd been gone for three, four weeks. She could have said, oh, well, it's a bit too late now. I've missed the opportunity. Or, gosh, I better focus on my uni stuff now. I can't get distracted. Or or perhaps, oh, what if my new friends that I'm trying to meet and, and sort of become friends with, what if they find out? She didn't let that stop her. She didn't let that stop her. Instead, she's declared it now to herself and to all that Jesus is her Lord and King and that's not going to change. That's going nowhere. And as she walks forward, she walks forward having declared who her Lord and her Saviour is. She has found, and Theo has found, something worth living passionately for. In fact, someone worth living passionately for, Jesus. I wonder if there are any personal fears holding you back from stepping out and living passionately for Jesus. Maybe they're real. Maybe they're not just fears of something that might happen. Maybe it will happen. Maybe you will get criticism and difficulties. But will you count the cost and still step out anyway? Jesus never abandons those who step out for him. Leave her alone, he says to Mary's critics. Why are you bothering her? That's the King of Kings, by the way, saying that. Hang on a moment, just leave her alone. She's got it right. This is a beautiful thing. We don't know what the future is going to be like. You might say, I don't know if I can keep it going. I don't know if my faith will be dented. We don't know these things. But we have the opportunity to step out and to commit today and to walk forward in faith. It's not just personal cost. It could be cultural things, I think, that hold us back sometimes from being passionate about Jesus and our faith. Perhaps you might say, Matt, I'm not actually sure we need any more people passionate about living for Jesus. Thank you very much. I think we have too much of that in the world. Thank you. There's something brilliantly British, isn't there, 
about our love of the moderate and the appropriate and the moderate and the reasonable, you know? And actually, I quite like... I'm not a massive fan of the huge over-the-topness. I kind of cringe like every Brit does. I think, no, let's just do things a little quieter, please. Um, we don't like anything too showy, do we? Not, not, not too much. No crass over-expression. We have this cultural tendency of thinking passion is a little bit immature. You'll grow out of it, you know? Pat, pat. We just want a nice, quiet Christianity, please. We certainly don't want any sniff of fanaticism. What the world needs is more moderates. I disagree. What the world needs, what this hurting and broken world needs, is more people passionate about Jesus, passionate about his love, passionate about his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his justice. It doesn't need more religiosity or fundamentalism. It doesn't need more cultural mashups and twists of using Christian language in all sorts of ways that aren't good. It doesn't need that. What the world needs is more of Jesus, actually. More of him. More of the one who loves us all beyond measure and loves everyone out there beyond measure, as well as in here. The one who came to save all who are in need and the one who can still save all who call out to him to set them free. The one who came to transform culture And help us realise what it is to be loved and to love one another. To be free, to have hope and a future. I'm a quiet person, Matt. I don't do sort of, you know, overt passion. Can I say, if you are that person, you could be quietly passionate for Jesus. That's allowed. You know, you can be quietly passionate for Jesus. You know, there are times when we want to be appropriate. And we don't want to ram religion down. Any, no one wants religion rammed down their throats, for goodness sake. No one wants someone Bible bashing or judging or wagging a finger. There are times when we need to show wisdom and grace, times when actually it's not appropriate to share and talk about the deep things of faith, but actually just to be there for someone. We do need wisdom, but we must not let that need for wisdom give us a green light to never, ever show our passion for Jesus or never step out or never share. The Mary's onlookers, her behaviour was a dreadful display of waste worthy of criticism. But for Jesus, it was a beautiful thing that was worthy of being remembered worldwide 2,000 years later, as we have done again today. She recognised who he was. She let nothing hold her back. And now she holds nothing back. Nothing back for showing her honour and gratitude towards Jesus. The thing that is most striking, perhaps most of all, is the sheer extravagance of what she did. In John's version, it says she took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's such a vivid picture. I love it. You can imagine it. There was no escaping it. Probably, can you imagine the disciples coughing as they're leaving? The <laughs> you know, it's one of those moments. For goodness sake. The whole house filled in this way of this perfume, this pure nard, this expensive perfume imported from northern India. She could have drizzled just a bit and it would have been so honourable and beautiful. Just a bit, Jesus, I just want to put some on your head and just say thank you. She could have drizzled quite a lot. 
That was still being really cool and really appropriate and really lovely. Jesus, I'm going to be quite generous here. This is pure nard. And there you go, look, see? The real stuff, I'm doing that. She didn't. She cracks the jar and she breaks and she pours the whole lot on Jesus' head and his feet. And for some there, they just couldn't get their heads around this. This is a year's worth of wages that you're pouring out here. For goodness, you can imagine them mopping back the oil. It's on the floor, sort of drizzling. Like, Hang on a minute, just get me a spoon. We'll get a little bit of that. So, so at least 200 pounds worth of nard I've got here, sneaking off and putting it in their own little pot. You know? What are you doing? And they say, you could have sold it to the poor. There comes that religious religiosity coming in. Oh, you should have done this. Much better thing. Perhaps Jesus says what we don't expect him to say here. He says, the poor you will have always with you, and you can help them any time you want. And may I say we should read that? We should. God's heart for the poor and the broken is so clear throughout Scripture. Jesus isn't saying, that's not important, but he's saying, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. This was a different moment. His time on earth was short and coming to an end. And Mary sees this opportunity and she does what she could that day, that moment, and all she could, no half measure. She gave everything to Jesus right there. Not the next day or the next day, but right now. And she pours her life savings all over him. Think about that. How much is that worth today? £15,000? £20,000? £25,000? It says more than a year's wages. I don't know. Imagine how precious this would have been to her. Sat in her house somewhere, hidden away. This extraordinary alabaster jar filled with this oil. I don't know how she got it. Did she inherit it? It was worth a small fortune and she thought nothing of breaking it and pouring it all over Jesus. She felt he was worth her everything. But I don't think she would have dared to believe that he felt the same way about her. You see, without realising it, she'd actually foretold the most incredible act of giving the world will ever see that Jesus was about to do. Nard and perfume was used to anoint a body ready for burial. And Jesus says that's exactly what she's done. I don't know if she realised it, but Jesus realised it. She has poured perfume on my body to prepare for my burial. She held nothing back from him, but he was about to hold nothing back for her. Soon he was no longer going to be feasting. Soon he was no longer going to be sitting around chatting with his friends. Soon he was going to be hanging on a cruel and awful cross, dying an awful death to pay the price for every bit of mess and mistake in her life. He was going to die on that cross to set her free, that Mary free, so that she could have a relationship with her Heavenly Father. So she could die, yes, with hope, knowing that death is not the end. That she would be with her Lord forever. She decided he was worth her everything. And she held nothing back. He decided that she was worth his everything. And he held nothing back. In one sense, this extravagant use of perfume was totally over the top. But in another sense, it wasn't even close to what Jesus deserves. Not even close. Yet the King of Kings, the Creator of all, the Innocent One, the Perfect One, God Himself, come to walk with us, to save us, to show us His love. Him, 
going to a cross to die our death, to take our mistakes on? Now that's extravagant. In fact, it's more than we could ever, 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 ever deserve. But that's what he did. He held nothing back for her. He held nothing back for Martha. He held nothing back for Theo. He held nothing back for me. And he held nothing back for you. And he asks us to do the same and hold nothing back. I'm out of time, but I leave you with this thought. I was talking to a friend um, who told me they'd been up a tower recently in Chicago called the Sears Tower, I think, or the Willis Tower. It was once the tallest building in the world. I think it's still the second tallest building in America. And I was like, this sounds so exciting, because he described, this is it in the middle, he described that when you get up there, they've taken out one of the walls and they've replaced it with glass box that you can go and stand on it right at the top, somewhere up there. And it looks a little bit like this. Ooh, genuinely gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, and you have to make the decision as to whether you're going to actually get out, I can't even look at that, and stand, stand on that glass. People, you can imagine, looking at that glass, touching the glass. You can imagine there are experts on this glass, about, you know, the tensile strength of this glass and, and, the, and the various physics that have been used on the property of the glass. And there are probably people that put one foot on the glass and go, hmm, I don't really know what all the fuss is about, and take their foot away and walk back away. But it's only the people that have stepped on fully oh, onto the glass and fully put their trust in it that really know what it is to be held by that glass and really know what that is as an experience. And giving your all to Jesus is a little bit like stepping out onto the glass. You never know it's going to take your weight until you do it. And when you do, you realise you've grabbed life with both hands or both feet and you realise you've been held and are now held by a hand that will never let you go, never let you fail or fall or falter to the ground. You say, but Matt, I don't know if I can give up my tomorrow and my next day. Well, we might fear the future, but let's start with today. She did what she could, Jesus said. Today we can start with our hearts. Whether we've known him for many, many years, we can say again, Lord, you have my heart. Whether we're still not sure, and we're right on the edge, somewhere miles away, going, well, I'm not really sure what this is all about, Matt. Maybe we can say, well, I'm going to today pledge to find out at least a little bit more. I've seen what these people have got, and I want to at least ask some more questions. Or maybe for some of you, it might be the day where you say, Lord, it's time. I am going to step over. I am going to give you my life. And I am going to invite you into my life as Lord and King. There is always one who goes all in. Jesus calls you and me to be that one. Let's pray together, shall we?